Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. This is the show. I'm Harry Shearer. uh, Sequestered, self-isolated, as the song indicated, in the uh, world headquarters of self-isolation, Southern California. Oh, please, I'm just being serious. And first of all, welcome to our newest affiliate of the Change is Easy radio network, KDUR. Yes, it's in Durango, Colorado. How'd you guess? Welcome. Hope you you can... uh, Sit down and stay a while. We'll be here for the duration. Been here for... Oh, don't don't even start. Ladies and gentlemen, this week, ringing endorsements from everyone from the President of the United States to Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC. Ringing endorsements for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Because they built a couple of hospitals in uh, New York City very fast. Now, if there's if you if you look up the U- U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, they started as doing engineering for the Army, and uh, one of the things the Army requires, due to the uh, nature of its work, is getting hospitals built in a hurry. Yes, it's part of the core competency, you might say, of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. But somebody who heard those encomiums tossed at the Army Corps might accidentally think, well, they must be good at a lot of engineering. Let's let them build a hurricane protection system for our city. Don't make that mistake. And here's another mistake, Dr. Make. Dateline Washington, a federal court this week, ordered the Trump administration to conduct a full environmental review of a controversial segment of the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's um, as a result of a request by the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. Yes, the Sioux sued. They had petitioned to nullify federal permits for the uh, pipeline on the grounds that the Army Corps, why the Army Corps of Engineers, violated the National Environmental Policy Act when it issued permits four years ago without conducting adequate environmental reviews. By the way, for those of you paying attention, that's also part of the core core competency of the core. Quote, this court ultimately concludes that too many questions remain unanswered, unrebutted expert critiques regarding leak detection systems, operator safety records, adverse conditions, and worst-case discharge mean that the easement approval remains highly controversial under the Environmental Act, according to the court. The court told the Corps of Engineers to prepare a full environmental impact statement and ordered the parties to, quote, brief the issue of whether the easement should be vacated during the remand and oil can continue to flow. That's legal talk for can the oil continue to flow while 
the case is being considered. I don't know if the Army Corps of Engineers can, has the competency to conduct a full environmental impact statement. They, they usually seem to av- conveniently avoid it or at least telescope it down in scope and size. This would be a challenge for them. But you know what their slogan is, ladies and gentlemen. Let us try. That's the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers joining me and saying hello. Welcome to the show. Giving you radio love, or podcast love, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. Well, by now you know, of course, 
the long-maintained mystery of whether the Olympics were going to be held in Tokyo on schedule has been resolved. Apparently, the Olympic Committee was waiting for Tokyo, and Tokyo was waiting for the Olympic Committee, and Godot didn't even know where to go. But the Olympics are now postponed until 2021, officially. Now, according to the Associated Press, comes the multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar question. Who going to pay for the delay? And how large will the bills be? Most likely answer to the first question is, guess what? Japanese taxpayers. That's the kind of movement we're talking. Of course, there will be costs, says the organizing committee CEO, Toshiro Muto. As for how much, we have no figures with us right now. As for who will shoulder these costs, he says, needless to say, they're not going to be easy discussions, so we're not sure how long they will take. The Japanese financial newspaper Nikkei put the added cost at $2.7 billion, signing an estimate from local organizers. They will have to negotiate new leases on venues. I thought they built the venues. Pay for maintenance at arenas and maybe find different fields of play. They'll also have to deal with real estate developers who already are selling off thousands of apartments at what was going to be Athletes Village. The organizing committee employs 3,500 staff members. Some may lose their jobs to cost-cutting. Driven by the advertising giant in Japan, Dentsu, Tokyo sold $3.3 billion in local sponsorships, more than twice any previous Olympics. There's your record right there. Those brands will be clamoring to know what they get for their money. Refunds, make good deals, new contracts. National government audit late last year put costs of these, these games at $28 billion rather than the official $12.6 billion figure. When Tokyo won the bid in 2013, it said the total cost would be $7.3 billion. Isn't that nutty? Public sector, oh, sorry, private sector money makes up $5.6 billion of the current total budget. The rest, whatever the grand total turns out to be, comes from the taxpayer. And Tokyo 2020 have insisted the Olympic flame would begin its journey last Thursday, transported in a safety lantern by car. No runners or spectators at the grand start in Fukushima. Appropriately enough. We're making adjustments to how the torch relay will be done, an organizing committee told the Japanese newspaper Asahi Shumbun. Organizers are hoping the flames are going to travel past empty roadsides. But against official advice, an estimated 50,000 people turned out last weekend just to look at the cauldron at the railway station when it was put on display. Not even the flame, just the cauldron. According to the Tokyo 2020 president, a decision on whether to continue the torch relay by car will be made in the coming days. Well, of course it will, because it's the Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one. Every day. Of course, also not mentioned in that uh, segment, but certainly at the top of the problem pile for those guys, 
Olympic organizers and people on the IOC and such, is there already are a lot of things scheduled for next year, like world championships and a lot of the sports and other activities included in the Olympic calendar. How are they going to do that? And, you know, it would almost raise the question, why would you need a duplicate of the world championships in the year of the world champion? Oh, please, come on. It's a movement. Anyway, now, ladies and gentlemen. We've got the ultra-modern knack of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty what the frack. What the frack? February of last year, February 25th to be exact, an earthquake shook a village in China's Sichuan province, leaving 12 people injured and two dead. New research indicates the earthquake and its two foreshocks, not forelocks, were likely triggered by hydraulic fracturing. That would be the first time in history that a fracking-induced earthquake has killed people, according to Inside Science. Study shows why magnitude, the most common way, of measuring earthquake size could lead people to underestimate the true threat threat that fracking-induced earthquakes might pose. That February 25th earthquake was only a magnitude 4.9. That wouldn't traditionally be considered very dangerous, but it was able to destroy older and more vulnerable buildings because it was so close to the surface, only about one kilometer deep, according to a new study. That's shallow even by fracking standards, shallow even by television standards. But fracking-induced earthquakes do tend to be much shallower than natural ones. Quote, the shallower it is for the same magnitude of earthquake, the stronger the shaking, says Hong Feng Yang, a seismologist at the Chinese University of Hong Kong and a senior author of this new study. Findings not yet published, but uh, Yang and his graduate student associate, Pang Cheng Zhu, presented them last December at a meeting of the American Geophysical Union in San Francisco. You know how fracking works. Uh, In some regions, fracking can trigger earthquakes by causing faults in the rock they're drilling into to slip. The slipping happens either because fluids seep into the fault itself or because the weight or volume of the fluid presses against the fault indirectly. This is a... I'll just review that they're pumping water and other additives at high pressure to break the rock in uh, shell formations and release the oil. I said, release the oil. No, I didn't. Most fracking operations in North America don't cause earthquakes. And the earthquakes that do occur have been generally small. If you consider Oklahoma small. Quote, in North America at the moment, we haven't had any hydraulic fracturing-induced earthquakes that have actually caused any damage said one of the researchers. But it's a different story in China. Several recent studies have shown that the fracking boom that began in about 2014 is triggering destructive earthquakes in formerly tranquil parts of China's Sichuan Basin. What the frack? Now, ladies and gentlemen, we, um, on this program, normally don't get obsessed by the um, one or two stories that dominate the other news media because we're not the other news media. But uh, I do have to share some material about the current pandemic that you may have missed. 
This most particularly from the Financial Times. Making melt-blown fabrics, the online material used in surgical masks, has been like printing money for Yu Xiaoning since the outbreak of coronavirus earlier this year. Public health crisis that has spread from China to Europe and the U.S. has led to a global shortage of surgical masks as governments seek to protect health workers and people everywhere trying to prevent contagion. It's created a surge in demand for the polymer-based fabrics used in the protective coverings, a market over which, over which Yu Jianning's company, Dawn Polymer, is fighting to retain control. Competition for melt-blown special materials has become the key to global epidemic prevention, says an analyst at a Chinese securities firm. The technical threshold and production process has been the reason why the price of multi, or sorry, of melt-blown special materials has soared recently, he says. That's the magic of the market. With an estimated market share of 40% for the specialty fabrics used in masks in China, shares in Dawn Polymer soared by 417%. In the six weeks following January 20th, when the Chinese nation was alerted to the spread of the virus. He, uh, Mr. Yu, has been in the plastics business since the 1990s, began perfecting melt-blown fabric production during the outbreak of severe acute respiratory syndrome, SARS, in 2003. We changed the fabric from a series of varieties to a key product to focus on, he told Chinese Entrepreneurs magazine in a recent interview. Now we've become a leading domestic manufacturer in terms of technology and production output. He declined to speak with the Financial Times. With the value of masks climbing around the world, Dawn is facing robust new competition in the world of melt-blown materials. Hordes of companies have pushed into the mask-making market, often converting factory floors built for other purposes. Some large groups, including a Chinese oil major, Sinopec, have announced they'll begin production of the materials. But analysts warn that the fight for dominance in the market, for what is now one of the world's most highly sought-after commodities, alongside toilet paper, not literally alongside, will depend on the ability to produce the specially designed polymer fabrics inserted into the masks. Melt-blown fabrics are relatively easy to produce, but the level of quality required for surgical mask inserts makes breaking into that market for masks much tougher. The key is the ability to create high-quality polypropylene materials that flow at a high rate at certain temperatures. Now, that's, that's interesting on its own, I guess, as a guy getting rich, making surgical masks. But it does suggest what tomorrow's news will be, given what we know about the way this planet and our role in it works. A year from now, we'll be reading or hearing about way more microplastics being found in the oceans as a result of this surge in demand for surgical masks. Me, as I said at the outset of this program, I'm finding it relatively easy to uh, self-isolate, comply with all the rules, not shaking hands, giving the elbow, giving the elbow in, instead of taking the knee. That's what this year is all about. But one little hang-up. 
just one. No problem with working at home It's always been my favorite place Only one thing's not a piece of cake I'm touching my face Maybe it's because I've got anxiety the fate of the whole human race Maybe I just have too much time on my hands But I'm touching my face Don't have to shout Cause I'm not freaking out Touching my legs was never a habit Though I always liked touching where they meet Touching my chest, it was second best But touching cheeks and forehead is oh so sweet I guess I'll have to put mittens on or fit my arms with some kind of brace A lifetime of habits ain't easy to break I'm touching my face I'm just like you, I need something to do So I'm touching my face.
from the home of the homeless to a self-isolating world, I'm Harry Shearer. This is the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the duh moment of the hour. Well, so many of us have either voluntarily or at the instruction of our employer signed up for a service called Zoom. It's a video and or audio communication service that allows conferences and other kinds of meetings to occur electronically over long distances or any distances. And uh, I admit that when I was told to sign up for it, and I did. I saw, huh, look at this. It's free. Here's the rest of the story from The Register, the uh, tech journal in England. One web veteran has sounded the alarm over Zoom's creepily chummy relationship with tracking-based advertisers. His name is Doc Searles. He's co-author of an influential internet marketing book. He warned that Zoom not only has the right to extract data from its users and their meetings, it works with Google and other ad networks to turn this personal information into targeted ads that follow those folks around the web. This personal info includes and is not limited to names, addresses, and any other identifying data, job titles, and employers' Facebook profiles, and device specifications. It also includes, quote, the content contained in cloud recordings and instant messages, files, whiteboards shared while using the service, unquote. Searles says reports outlining how Zoom was collecting and sharing user data with advertisers, marketers, and other companies prompted him to look into the software maker's privacy policy. He concluded, quote, Zoom is in the advertising business. I insert here. Duh. And in the worst end of it, the one that lives off harvested personal data. What makes this extra creepy, he says, is that Zoom is in a position to gather plenty of personal data, some of it very intimate, for example, with a shrink talking to a patient, without anyone in the conversation knowing about it. Unless, of course, they see an ad somewhere that looks like it was informed by a private conversation on Zoom. Unquote. Searles. The privacy policy states as of last week, Zoom does use certain standard advertising tools which require personal data. We use these tools to help us improve your advertising experience, such as serving advertisements on our behalf across the Internet, serving personalized ads on our website, and providing analytic services. For example, Google may use this data to improve its advertising services for all companies who use their services. It's all services. It's a service country, isn't it? I I, uh, take a moment out just to suggest that the two-word phrase, advertising experience, should be hereby banned from the English language. Well, all, all languages. Why? Searles is a former Harvard Berkman fellow. He said, 
Net users are unlikely, uh, likely unaware that their information could be harvested from their Zoom accounts and video conferences for advertising and tracking across the Internet. Quote, a person whose personal data is being shed on Zoom doesn't know what's happening because Zoom doesn't tell them. There's no red light like the one you see when a session is being recorded. Nobody goes to Zoom for an advertising experience, he says. And nobody wants ads aimed at their eyeballs elsewhere on the Internet by third parties using personal information leaked out through Zoom, he concluded. The register asked Zoom for comment, has yet to hear back. If Zoom needs more money, says Searles, it should charge more for its services or give away less for free. What Zoom's current privacy policy says is worse than you don't have any privacy. Here it says, we expose your virtual next to data vampires who can do what they will with it. Unquote Searles. Shares in Zoom are up 26% over the last month. And Zoom's iOS app sends some, and that would be a mobile Apple app, sends some analytics data to Facebook, even if you don't use Facebook due to the application's use of Facebook's Graph API. This is discovered by Vice. The privacy policy states the software does collect profile information when a Facebook is used, when a Facebook account is used to sign into Zoom, though it doesn't say anything about what happens if, like me, you don't use Facebook. It's such a smart world. Now, we know a lot of hospitals are encountering problems with staff and with uh, equipment that they need. How's the VA doing? Let's ask an inspector general. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Within two days of the World Health Organization declaring the coronavirus spread a pandemic, the VA began screening processes to protect against infection. The Veterans Administration cares for about 9 million vets. It also began preparing for its mission to serve as a last line of defense for Americans, not just vets, during health crises. About a week after VA began screening for the virus, Investigators from the Office of Inspector General launched an inquiry to evaluate how the VA was performing, including unannounced visits to hospitals, clinics, and nursing homes, while working to ensure those visits wouldn't put veterans or staff at risk. At the 58 medical centers those investigators visited, they found about 71% had adequate screening processes in place, about 28% had room for improvement, and one Southern Arizona VA had inadequate screening for potential infection because staff was not asking all the required screening questions. At the 121 community outpatient clinics the investigators visited, they found 97% had screening in place, though four didn't have any, and visitors were asked no COVID-19 questions. At the 54 VA nursing homes, they found after the VA announced a no-visitors policy, Nine nursing homes were still allowing visitors. Almost all of the medical facilities that investigators visited 
were collecting specimens for testing, but none of those facilities could process them on site. Some referred those who needed testing to county or state health departments. Leaders of these hospitals, clinics, and nursing homes told investigators they were sending their samples to the VA uh, facility in Palo Alto, California, for testing. One facility estimated that testing time could be reduced from several days down to four hours by processing at a laboratory on site. Well, it's like Boris Johnson got the results of his test the same day. How'd he do it? He's not a vet. Leaders of the medical institutions and facilities told the investigators from the Inspector General's office their inventory of medication used to help manage virus symptoms or treat critically ill patients or to sedate intubated patients, quote, may be insufficient, unquote. Well, we'll have to see. Some facility leaders told investigators they were concerned about how much personal protective gear they had for staff and how many test kits they had available. Leaders of two VAs reported shortages of mechanical ventilators. So, just like the rest of us, News of Inspectors General. Ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Hey, everybody. It's another time at bat for the Entrepod, the podcast for would-be entrepreneurs and people who want to be one. And uh, we got a new sponsor today, the guys at Sheetheads who say, what good is the best mattress in the world if you don't cover it with the world's best sheets? <laughs> I, I, I guess they have the answer to that question, but they, they didn't write it down for me here. And I almost forgot to not introduce myself. I'm Adam Buckholz. I'm not recording this as usual in my parents' living room uh, because it's uh, now their office or their workplace or something. So I'm in the Buckholz garage, squeezed in between the Honda and uh, the vintage Plymouth Valiant uh, up on blocks. But not on blocks, <laughs> at least I hope not, as my guest today. He's a creator of a startup so new it doesn't even have its certificate of incorporation yet, which to me is like so cool. Biggie Medina is the guy. He's closer to the Valiant. And uh, welcome to the Entrepod, Biggie. I can call you Biggie, right, dude? Adam, it's uh, like I like to say, in startup land, there are no misters. Oh, makes it rough if you got a big heat wave, I guess. But I, Biggie, you've hit the marketplace like a Cat 5 tsunami with your idea. I mean, uh, everybody on my Slack is talking about it. Uh, it's pretty huge, all right, uh, Adam. And it's uh, it's just the result of sitting in the tub for a couple hours while I'm trapped in the house <laughs> i guess we all know that one mm -hmm. i mean uh they kicked me out of the tub after 10 i just asked myself uh people are being told to stay in the house mm -hmm. unless they have to go to the doctor or buy supplies or or not or unless they have to walk the dog yeah i know i used to have to walk seinfeld when i was a kid which sounds cool unless what if you don't have a dog you know, it's true. Seinfeld ran away one day. What if you could order a dog via an app for your walk? Wow, an app? The dog is delivered to your house. You get to stay outside for up to an hour. The dog is picked up, rinse, and repeat. That's the whole idea behind Barks. 
with the Z. Oh, I love the Z. Yeah. So you're getting the, the dogs from like the, the pound, right? Adoption services, shelters, yeah, right? Yeah. They're relieved the dogs have something to do all day, although some of them, the older ones, uh, need a day of rest every once in a while from all the walking. But like I remember from Seinfeld that he didn't like anybody but family members to walk him. Well, I thought about that in hour three. Ah. Dogs, quote, know you through smell. That's their Snapchat. <laughs> so when you register with Barks, you send in a small piece of cloth or something that's got that's been with you for like maybe an afternoon. It smells like you. Uh-huh. The dogs start that day smelling all the people who are going to be walking them. It's all family to them, right? They're dogs. <laughs> and, and you're never going to run out of dogs. They're always saying how full the shelters are, although... Uh, we never found Seinfeld. Actually, in our first couple of markets, Sacramento and Portland, Oregon, we are beginning to see the bottom of the barrel of canine availability. So uh, we've set up a research lab. Oh, those are great. Uh, to work with uh, some robotics companies on prototyping a mechanical dog that at least walks like a real dog. You know, if this thing goes on as long as they say. Well, by that time, they'll have to put me on blocks. <laughs> but that sounds exciting. Maybe down the road, people would actually get the mechanical dogs as their pets. That would be a whole new disruptive. Well, then we'd start running out of those, too. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's why you're the startup guy, and I'm... The guy who interviews startup guys. You're essential, too. So when does Barks break out to more cities? We're getting our angelfish round uh, funding this weekend, and then we go wide. And I'm trying to figure out what role do, do uh, algorithms play in all this? Best routes to take and dropping off and picking up the dogs. Sweet. Biggie Medina, I, I could talk to you about this all day, but the, the Valiant smells bad. You, you noticed. <laughs> Just one final question. Were your parents big hip-hop fans? No, I was a fat baby. Okay, so watch for Barks when it uh, goes live near you. And join me next time. Maybe I'll record in the driveway for another edition of the Entrepod. Till then, I'm Anna Buckholz saying my new sign-off. Go start something. <laughs> so long. Just a day I saw you and your head was in your hands. Said you couldn't face another day. All of life's rejections, all those dreams turned into sand. What's the point, you asked me, so I took your hand and said that when it feels like the rain might fall forever Been 
Apologies of the week. So sorry. You wouldn't believe how many apologies we've got this week, ladies and gentlemen. We might be calling it, we might, we might decide to start calling it the sorry virus. The Guam Department of Education is looking into a video of a public school teacher who claims to have COVID-19, then in subsequent recording says he hasn't taken the test and apologizes for causing panic. We've been made aware of this video and have forwarded it to Public Health for their guidance, says the spokesman for the Education Department. In a second recording, the man says his intention was not to cause panic, but to promote awareness, to practice self-quarantine, and keep oneself hydrated. I was not confirmed for the virus. I did not take the test. I apologize if I gave the impression I was tested, he said. In yet another recording, my apologies, I guess I'll take that post down. My intention wasn't to promote fear. I'm sorry, guys. In another recording that follows, the teacher asks where he can be tested. The Guam Daily Post is not identifying him. In the video, the man says he wore a mask and gloves while in the classroom. Casanova, he's, uh, I believe, a hip-hop artist, has acknowledged his mistake after ignoring the advice to practice social distancing. Talking or taking to his Instagram post, the Rock Nation artist posed a lengthy statement to apologize for taking the matter lightly. Quote, to all the people who saw my videos over the weekend, I want to apologize. If you know me, you know what I've been up, I've been through, and that I like to have fun and turn up with my friends. He admitted, quote, he didn't take this coronavirus situation seriously until I visited my local hospital, Kings County, saw for my own see what this virus is doing, everybody. Unquote, realizing he put his family, friends, and 74-year-old mother at risk when she was stop, trying to stop him from being outside, the Bronx MC said, quote, that this isn't something that is cool at all, and my life would never be the same if I was to lose her to my stupidity of video shoot. Unquote. He also addressed a police visit to the set of his video shoot. Also, I want to say to the NYPD officers who responded from the 7th, 70 precinct, I understand that y'all were doing your jobs trying to keep us all healthy, and I apologize for putting your health and the health of y'all loved ones at risk as well. Doesn't talk like the Bronx. Yes, he does. Previously, he had shared a video of him and his entourage on the street in New York City, reportedly to film a music video. We all test positive for corona. We don't give a poop. We outside. We don't give a... 
after people slammed him for seemingly ignoring public health, he posted another video the next day insisting that he would keep going outside because he had to work to pay rent and child support. As long as this grass needs cutting, as long as I got to pay child supports, as long as I got to pay lawyer fees, I'm the F outside. Thus said Casanova. Hey, Target Corporation, you're in the news. They apologized over the weekend for selling face masks in Seattle stores while hospitals face a dire shortage. Washington Governor Jay Inslee said his office intervened when it received reports Saturday that the much-needed N95 masks were on shelves at Target. Those masks are now on their way to the health care workers who desperately need them, Inslee wrote on Twitter. Target said it on Twitter... Hey, everybody's on Twitter. No, not really. That the masks were being sold in error in select Seattle stores and that it was removing them from shelves and donating them to the Washington Department of Health. The company said it would also search its inventory for additional masks to donate. Target's commitment to communities is unwavering, the company wrote, and we apologize. I don't think companies write. I think spokespeople do. Actually, I think spokespeople have press conferences and rights people write. On Tuesday morning of this week, Ole Miss alumni, alumni of the University of Mississippi, and donors were greeted with a troubling email, one from the Ole Miss Fund that discussed leaving a portion of your money to the school in your will. Considering the current outbreak of COVID-19, this was a bad time, according to Saturday Down South, for the Ole Miss Fund to send out this email. It was previously scheduled. The timing was poor. The Ole Miss Fund issued an apology. We deeply apologize for a university development email sent Tuesday morning dealing with estate planning information. This message was a previously scheduled newsletter focused on providing guidance for planned giving. A Florida politician has apologized for promoting a debunked and dangerous claim that inhaling hot air from a hairdryer can kill the coronavirus. So you hold a blow dryer in front of your face and you inhale with your nose and it kills all the viruses in your nose. According to Okeechobee County Commissioner Bryant Culpepper. Come on. Who wrote this? This is a Hollywood cliche of the South. Okeechobee County Commissioner Bryant Culpepper. He said at a meeting, the Trump-loving Republican, according to the New York Daily News, his Facebook page is flooded with anti-liberal memes and profanity laced attacks on Democratic figures, said he heard about the blow dryer method through a story he saw on OANN, a conservative cable news network favored by President Trump. It almost sounds too easy, but at this point anything is worth trying, he said, adding that infected people can also kill the virus by inhaling the steam from boiling water. Or just by kissing his... The widely debunked theory has been linked to at least one person on YouTube, a so-called futurologist, who is not a medical doctor, according to Snopes. Culpepper's remarks were met largely by silence, as at least one fellow commissioner covered his face with both hands in disbelief. He did a Fauci. An official who was speaking at the meeting politely cautioned the board to avoid relying on information found on social media or unreliable sources. After footage of the meeting went viral online, Culpepper engaged in a series of arguments with his critics, some of whom used his own page to warn of the dangers of spreading false information. He later apologized for promoting the debunked theory and for arguing with people online. 
I will not offer any more suggestions unless they're tried and proven. I ask for all of your forgiveness or anything offensive that I uttered during these exchanges. God bless and soften your hearts. Your, uh, sorry, your hearts. They soft. Scottsdale, Arizona Councilman Guy Phillips has apologized for sharing a post on Facebook over the weekend that incorrectly stated the meaning for COVID-19, the official name of the disease. The post shared by Phillips claimed that it stands for Chinese-originated viral infectious disease, unquote. It's actually Corona for virus and D for disease. The 19 stands for the year it was discovered. A handful of people corrected Phillips. He deleted the post later that day. He sent a letter to the Arizona Republic apologizing for the incident, saying his actions were reckless and citing his ignorance on the matter. That's his word. I hope anyone who is offended will accept my apology for my reckless act. He wrote the Asian community has since reached out to me, and we had a good discussion about the repercussions of these types of propaganda, as well as some tasty noodles. No, he didn't say that. The initial post read, Hate to break this to all of the morons who call themselves journalists. COVID literally stands for Chinese-originated viral infectious disease, and the number 19 is due to this being the 19th virus to come out of China. Unquote. Councilman Phillips. By the way, the World Health Organization's best practices now discourages naming diseases after cities or countries where they originate to avoid any negative impacts on trade, travel, or tourism. The WHO cites examples such as Middle East Respiratory Syndrome or the Spanish Flu as how not to refer to diseases. North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer apologized this week for a late-night tweet in which he used an offensive term to describe House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. He blamed autocorrect for the tweet, which he deleted soon after posting it. The Republican senator was responding to a video clip on Twitter in which Pelosi was being interviewed on the relief bill. Senator Kramer's tweet read, quote, She's retarded, unquote. Kramer said in an interview that he meant to type quote, she's ridiculous, unquote, and didn't notice what he actually tweeted until a few minutes later when he went to make another tweet. It's a word I just don't apply to people. I can be pretty tough in my rhetoric, but that's not a word I apply to people for really good, obvious reasons. I'm really sorry it happened, unquote. By the way, in pursuit of the story, your host typed the phrase, she's ridiculous, and stopped midway through into actually stop after the first R in some cases, several times into both Twitter and an email client, none of them autocorrected to retarded. You're welcome. The owner of a pub in uh, Merseyside, northwest England, that would be near Liverpool, has apologized for a foul-mouthed rant at National Health Service workers striving to keep the country safe amid the outbreak. Michael Atkinson, who owns the Oxton Bar and Kitchen, called NSA, NHS workers, quote, wanker wannabes, unquote, and accused them of twirling their thumbs while waiting for a pay raise. Posting on Facebook, he said, socialist, mouthly, fear-mongering F-faces bringing the country to a standstill. Literally, the only silver lining is you'll never get a pay raise, as there'll be no private sector taxes to fund your irrelevant overstretched fees. F-U social media. He followed that up with another one. P.S. You're no effing hero. F off. People who want to go who go to war are heroes, not wanker wannabes. 
Then the next afternoon, he posted an apology on the establishment's Facebook page. Quote, regarding my vile, drunken, misplaced comments on my personal Facebook page last Friday, I would like to apologize from the bottom of my heart to anyone offended. I just heard my business of 16 years was to close. My anger is not with the NHS or key workers, but the government for lack of warning and assistance to the self-employed. Forever sorry, unquote. That's what happens when a pub owner gets drunk. Evangeline Lilly, Tom? Evangeline Lilly. Has apologized in a lengthy apology in response to the backlash she received for dismissing the dangers of the pandemic. She called her prior remarks dismissive, arrogant, and cryptic. Enough mm. said. Representative Seth Moulton, Massachusetts congressperson, has rescinded his support for a resolution that argues the Chinese government encouraged the spread of coronavirus. He's uh, done this, rescinded his support for that resolution, amid pushback from the Asian American community. Quote, I apologize for that, and I'm withdrawing my support for the resolution. As someone who has spoken in stark terms about racism in America and the dangerousness of Trump, the way that revolution, resolution has been used is unacceptable to me. And finally, two landlord apologies. Allentown, Pennsylvania developer Nat Hyman apologized for a letter his property management company sent to tenants threatening to evict those who didn't pay rent on time. These are difficult times, the letter started. Many tenants in the last few weeks, quote, may have lost your jobs and or be in unemployment. Despite these circumstances, you're required to pay your rent on time. While this may sound like we're being uncaring, please keep in mind that all of our expenses, including bank, mortgages, taxes, insurance, continue to be due and payable on time. Tenants who pay three days late would be charged a $50 late fee. The company threatened to file evictions and disconnect cable. If you're not able to pay your rent in full, please contact the office. We'll arrange a date for you to move out of your apartment, the letter stated. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled last week no one can be evicted, ejected, or otherwise displaced from a home because of failure to make rent or mortgage payments during a court shutdown. That's extending through at least the 3rd of April. Hyman apologized for the letter, which he said was written by one of his managers, and was, quote, not worded as well as it could have been. He assured that no tenant will be evicted during the pandemic and that the intent was to remind people that rent isn't a negotiable bill. He then issued a written apology, calling the letter totally insensitive. I've spent all week trying to negotiate with the banks, but they've shown very little movement. Unquote. Blame the banks. I would. And Bradenton, Florida, words like unacceptable, humiliating, humiliating, Tom, and inexcusable are being used across social media, blasting property managers of a, a low-income housing complex in Bradenton, Florida, after they sent a threatening letter to tenants about the pandemic. The managers are now apologizing, saying it wasn't meant for anyone. It included... If you would like to discuss with us how any of this or the spread of the virus is our fault, please come see us in the office. The project was started by an affordable housing champion and philanthropist. His son took over the affordable housing when uh, the dad died in 2018. The son, Mark Vengroff, apologized on behalf of his property managers for the message that went out earlier this week and have redistributed a revised message, he says. That's nice. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Once again, welcome to KDUR in Durango, Tula Show. And now what should we do? Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. Yes, sir.
Here you go. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Home brewed for your enjoyment. Back next week on this radio station at the same time. And uh, on your audio device of choice. Well, that's up to you. No, I mean it, really. I have. Don't let me influence you. Just turn the radio on, like Joe said. And it would be just like Joe said. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk and to... Pam Halstead and Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address, <laughs> I know, for this program, a playlist of the music here, here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. You'll find out about that soon enough, Durango. All at harryshearer.com. And, as if that's not bad enough, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions. It originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.